You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So we're going to jump into our message today. I don't have anything on the screen because the verse is short, so I'll read it to you. We're going to go through two parables in three verses. Amazing. Really short. Um, In these two parables, Jesus is going to be reiterating the same exact thing. So he tells it once, and then he tells it again in a different scenario so that, you know, you've heard the same thing two different ways. It sticks with you a little bit more. Jesus loves to speak in parables. And he expected his disciples to understand it, but not everybody else. He expected some people to get it and some people to not. And the discerning factor as to whether you understood a parable or not was if you had the secret to the kingdom of heaven giving you the comprehension of what the parable meant. So we need the Holy Spirit to understand parables, uh, though today's I think we'll find are are fairly uh, to the point, which helps us understand a little bit better. So let me read this is Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found and covered up, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So there's your first parable. Then Jesus retells it in a different light. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who, on finding a pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So two different parables, both telling the same thing. There are people out there who find one thing, a treasure of sorts, and they get rid of everything they have because it does not compare to that treasure. They throw everything away. They sell it all so that they can take the weight of everything that they've sold and they can go and purchase this treasure, whether it's buried treasure, yar, right? And Jesus told us a pirate story. You knew that was awesome. Or, or if it's a, a pearl. So let's understand culture a little bit more because we're like, why, why, why is Jesus talking about coming across buried treasure in the first place? Here's why. Back then, they didn't have safety deposit boxes, okay? They didn't have cameras. There was no, like, ancient heist movie about people trying to break into this super, you know, safe place. You didn't have the giant vault when you got the combinations and all that. So the only place that you could really hide your stuff would be in your house. But your house, you know, you can't even keep that super safe because this is ancient times. You don't have a camera on your house. You don't have a lock on your house, things like this. Anyone could go in and just steal your stuff if they wanted. So in ancient times, what they were known to do was bury their treasure, bury it somewhere. And keep, you know, in their mind, I have put this in this place. So when I need to come find it later, I'll come find it. Now, Jesus says a man found treasure and then covered it up and went to buy the field. So what's that all about? Well, this guy was probably a servant working someone else's land, right? Because if you found treasure buried somewhere, you would just kind of take off with it. That would kind of be the end of the conversation. But this guy, he finds it and then he covers it back up, right? So like, imagine a servant is getting ready to dig and put some sunflower seeds in the ground and suddenly he comes across something. He, he digs it up and here he has this treasure. So he's looking around, he's looking around, doesn't see anybody, he buries it back up really quick. 
And then he decides to go sell everything he has so that he can buy this specific field. Maybe his master doesn't even know that it's like in his field, right? Maybe it's the master's treasure and he forgot about it. I don't know. But one way or another, Jesus, Jesus, this man has found this treasure in Jesus' story and he wants it. So he sells everything and then he goes to the person to buy it from and starts to make negotiations. And you got to imagine the guy making the negotiations must think this man is crazy, right? Dude, you want to buy a field? A field? There's hundreds of fields out there. You can just go get any field. But you, you've sold everything that you have for this specific field rather than go get a different one. I mean, I guess I'm making bank on this. So sure, I'll sell it to you. But this guy trades in everything for one thing. And he looks insane. But little does everybody know that he has found treasure in that field. So when he buys that field, he's actually bought more than he ever had before, right? He might have sold it all, but in buying that field, now he has this treasure that's worth more to him, probably more than the field itself, because that's how much he paid for it his whole life. He's traded it all in for that one treasure. Likewise, a, a, a merchant who searches for pearls, so he's used to pearls. He knows what to look for in a good pearl. He knows what the nicest pearls might be, and maybe even the person selling the pearl isn't aware of just how nice this particular one is. But this guy is used to pearls, and he comes across one, and his eyes light up. He's like, wow, this pearl. Unlike all the other pearls, this one, this is treasure. This one's, I've never seen a pearl like this. I'm going to go sell all the pearls I already own. I'm going to go sell my house, my land, everything to my name so that I can have this one pearl. It sounds crazy to us, but he knows something that the rest of us don't. He probably even knows like that pearl alone is worth more in value than everything that he just sold. But his eyes are on the prize and, and he gets fixed on it. And, and that's what, what he wants. That's what he has to have. You've been there before, right? You're walking around the store and you came across something that you never knew existed. You're like, oh, I need that. <laughs> and, and then you start to call your spouse and you're like, hey, we don't need to pay mortgage this week, right? <laughs> you, know, you start making arrangements because your eyes are set on one thing, on that prize, and, and you want it. You got to have it. Kevin, why are you looking at Janae like that? <laughs> You found that one thing and it's stuck in your mind. I find oftentimes when this happens, like I'm mesmerized. But if I can just walk out the stupid door of Target, I'll forget about it instantly. But I got to get out that door. Otherwise, this Target's like, come to me. Leave me alone, spot. Right? It's just, it's grabbed you. It's got you. No, okay, you don't have that happen. Fine. Well, this is, this is the treasure stories for Jesus. But in this case, like they're not just spending pointless money. They found something of great worth. They give it all up just for one thing. And they look insane to everybody else. But if everybody else just knew how important that treasure was, they would understand just how rational these people are being. So I want to talk today just about a guy from a few hundred years back who lived this kind of life, who lived out this parable in action. He was uh, born into a pretty wealthy family. His dad sold clothes for a living and uh, did a pretty good job at, at bringing in money through that. So their family was quite wealthy. He grew up, therefore, living kind of a wealthier lifestyle, doing trivial things that didn't matter one way or not to, you know, our spirituality or 
or living a life for God or anything like that. It was just living his life, trivial things. And uh, there's even an image painted of him at this time that, that kind of shows like that kind of higher social status looking down on, on others because there were lepers in his town. And he was horrified by these lepers. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't even look at them. I don't know if it's just because of how disfigured they were or if it was because he, you know, maybe he was a germaphobe, afraid, what if I get the same thing and then it takes over my body? And then imagining himself losing fingers, things like that, losing his nerves and all that. But he was horrified of lepers. So he would avoid them at all costs. He knew where the colonies would be and he wouldn't go in those places. But occasionally, you know, there might be one in town and he might come across them. Whenever that happened, he wasn't so above himself that he wouldn't give anything to them. So uh, he would pull out some money, but he'd give it to a mediator. (laughs) Someone else would say, hey, can you go put that in in the cup over there? Just take that over there. And while he did this, he would hold his nose. So it was kind of this, you know, high standing about him, looking down on on the poor, afraid to go near them. Uh, And that's his early life until he gets close to the verge of 20. He's about 18 or so when suddenly he decides to join the army. He goes to war and then he becomes a prisoner of war for a year until his dad raises the money to pay the ransom to bring his son out of uh, the jail that he's been in for this last year in enemy territory. Not too long after this, he decides to go back to the army again, uh, right when he's about 20. But on his way there, or sometime while he's there, suddenly he has a vision. And this vision makes him just turn around, head home, and just change his course of life. And as he's home, he's very sick around this time. And while he's sick, he starts having a series of dreams and visions. And of course, it's while he's sick. So, you know, people are probably thinking he really is crazy. Uh, But he starts having these words from God in this time. He's followed the vision and headed home where God told him to go. But now God starts speaking to him. And, And God says at one point, if you want to know my will, you must hate and despise all that which your body has loved and desired to possess. Once you begin to do this, all that formerly seems sweet and pleasant to you will become bitter and unbearable. And instead, the things that formerly made you shudder will bring you great sweetness and content. Well, now we start doing the whole 180. This guy's life starts to change drastically as these visions and dreams come to him. To the point that he goes on a pilgrimage of sorts, or at least he comes across these lepers that he's been horrified of, that he's dreaded, that he doesn't want to get anywhere close to. And this time he goes up to a leper, he kneels down, and he kisses the leper's wounds. A drastic change from where he was before. And he spends time in prayer trying to pursue God. And he's sitting on an old dilapidated church building and uh, nearby that's just falling apart. And then out of a cross in that church, he says he heard God speak to him out of the cross three times. And God said the same thing each time. He said, repair this church building. And so he began to sell his family's possessions (laughs) to raise money for the repairs. 
Which is, you know, one thing when it's your money to, to take care of and sell to get stuff. But now he's taken from his family and he's taken their wealth, wealth that they've already had to use to bail him out of, of prison. Now he's using their wealth to, to repair this church. His dad is furious at him. And so he, he takes his son to the local bishop because this is a spiritual issue. This guy's trying to fix his church. And so he goes to the bishop and he says, this guy, make him pay me back. He needs to pay me back. And so this man just like wants to follow God so bad and he feels like his father's getting in the way. And so he strips naked. He takes all his clothes off, everything that he has to his name, everything that he owns, everything that you could say, you know, it's kind of his father's, or at least he owes it to him with everything else. He gives it to his dad and then he leaves there naked. And he says, God is now my father. And he begins to live a life of complete poverty and begins to do ministry. He's found this treasure in Jesus, the, the one thing that matters, the kingdom of heaven. And now nothing else matters to him to the point that he's standing naked in a church. It's like, look, I got, I got nothing left. I, everything I have is God's. The heavenly father is my father. And his new life begins to kick in. And if we've already seen, like, he's becoming a bit extravagant, now he becomes even more extravagant. He denies himself, like, all comforts that he could possibly have. When he sleeps, he sleeps outside. When he sleeps, he sleeps sitting up. And if he ever lies down, he uses a pillow. Uh, well, not a pillow. He uses a rock as his pillow or a piece of wood, trying to deny himself all comfort. He begins to bathe lepers and take care of them. These people who he is horrified at once. He fasts for the whole 40 days of Lent. And I can imagine like full-fledged, like nothing fasting uh, is my guess. He, he took joy when people mocked him, when they beat him, which they did a lot. Why? Because the guy looked irrational. He looked crazy. <laughs> he's, he's given up everything. Everybody in town knows who he is. He's the son of that wealthy clothes maker in town. And, and now he's got nothing left wearing one robe, sleeping outside. He's insane. But if they understood what the treasure was, the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus calls it, that's the treasure buried that the guy finds. That's the pearl that the pearl merchant finds. If they understood that and they could see it from his perspective, they'd suddenly realize the rational, rational life that he's living when he's tempted, he would throw himself in ditches of ice just to have something up. You know, like when someone's like, ah, oh, my foot hurts. And you just stomp on their other foot. It's like, does that foot hurt as much now? No, because now my other foot hurts. You do the same thing. Ah, oh, I'm tempted. Throw himself in a patch of ice. Okay, this is worse. And I'm not thinking about my temptations anymore. Don't stomp on people's foot, by the way. Uh, he often experienced the presence of God in intense ways, which makes sense given the intense life that he's, he's living. Uh, there's even legends or stories of him preaching to animals and the animals enjoyed it. There's one story of birds just hanging out and he began to preach to them and all the birds like just sat there with their mouths open listening. <laughs> like this is a great message. And they wouldn't leave until he went up to each bird, did the sign of the cross over them and they'd fly away one by one. <laughs> these are strange stories. And yet these are the stories that we hear of a man who had his treasure in heaven, of a man who made heaven his treasure. 
And you'd think like no one would ever live this way. No one would ever follow him. But believe it or not, people did. People started giving up all of their possessions to join his ministry. In fact, some of the first disciples that he got was in year 1208. Yeah? Yeah. 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 And maybe it's a sign. Leave your clothes at the front. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, some people left the country. They served under him and they left the country to go do ministry and they got martyred. They got killed in those places. They literally gave it all up. Even a woman gave everything up to follow him. She was born to a high class family. She was beautiful. She was offered so many different marriage proposals from people. Yet she refused them all because she had already made a vow of virginity to God in her heart. And eventually she hears of Francis and she wants to live that way too. So she gives her entire inheritance to the poor. In fact, her sister even says she gave some of my inheritance too. (laughs) And uh, then their family, they thought she was insane. And they tried to bring her home, which by the way happened to Jesus too. When they heard he was doing ministry and healing people, John says they thought he was insane and they tried to bring him home. Jesus' own family did that. This woman's own family did that. But she gave it all up, and now other women started being added to the ranks. This man became so much like Jesus that Jesus gave him a powerful experience that really marked him as someone who looked like Jesus. One day he had a vision, another vision. And in this vision, he saw an angel holding a crucified man. He saw an angel holding Jesus. And suddenly Jesus, in this vision begin to pierce this man. And as he came out of this vision, from that day on to his death, there's reports, plenty of reports of his friends saying, yes, this actually happened. He had pierced marks on each hand, just like Jesus on the cross, pierced marks on both feet, just like Jesus on the cross, and a pierced mark in his side where Jesus was stabbed in the side on the cross. This is the first time they really had a record of it, so they call it the stigmata. And now uh, these scars would be there for the rest of his life until he died. Occasionally, they would, they, their friends said they were like dark scars that would sometimes just bleed. But he got these out of this vision, which you could tell was like this prophetic testimony to everyone around. This man is chasing after Jesus so much like he looks like Jesus and he's someone to look up to. He died in his mid-40s after only 20 years of ministry. Uh, He was blind when he died. He was diseased when he died. And he was abnormally thin when he died. And we're pretty sure now that he died of tuberculoid leprosy. So the very thing that he was afraid of, (laughs) in the end, he didn't even care. You know, he went full force to minister to lepers and everybody else. And tuberculoid leprosy is like a, it's leprosy, but it's a little less severe and noticeable. So there's just like a few patches here and there. Um, And the story right there that you heard, this is the story of Francis of Assisi. St. Francis, back in 1200, I think he died in 1223. He shows us an example A powerful and dangerous example of what life can look like when we're really following Jesus. An uncomfortable example. You know, so often, and this was me growing up, I'd read the Sermon on the Mount and be like, no one could ever live that out, Jesus. I'm glad you preached over the top to get our attention, though. This guy did it. (laughs) 
He lived out the Sermon on the Mount. He showed us that actually we can live that out if we really want to, if we put our focus on that treasure, the kingdom of heaven, where we might look irrational to the rest of the world, where the world might yell at you, might think you're stupid, might think you're insane, mock you, beat you. But you go away celebrating because this is all worth it for that treasure. We see Francis's eyes glowing like a, like a movie where someone's taken over, like a boo in Aladdin, right? He sees the big gem. He's like, ah, like that's Francis. His eyes are glowing. He's got that treasure in his eyes. You can see it reflecting out of his eyes. You see the glow on his face. And as we turn to see what it is, this treasure he's looking at, we just see Jesus. We see the kingdom of heaven, which is worth giving up everything for. That's the thing about treasure. It blinds you. You, you don't think rationally, but you don't have to think rationally when it's the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is rarely very rational. <laughs> and wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what Jesus taught us. So where is our treasure today in our lives? Is it focused on heaven? Because when we're focused on heaven, we'll start to look insane. When we really put our treasure there. I mean, think of all the treasure hunter movies you've seen, right? Benjamin Gates and National Treasure. His character is literally his whole family's insane. Everybody thinks he's insane, but then he finds the treasure, right? Jack Sparrow and Pirates of the Caribbean. Bilbo and The Hobbit. Nathan Drake and Uncharted. Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones. The Goonies. Like all these people look crazy and they go to incredible lengths to find their treasure. If we only had half of that insanity in our pursuit for Jesus. If we could remember that life is about more than stuff. If we can learn that we can actually get by in this life with just nothing more than just Jesus himself. And that we can love that life. He's the treasure found in the field. He's the pearl of pearls. He's the thing that we give up everything for. But a lot of times I think what we like to do is we like to take Jesus as like one collectible treasure among many others. And toss him in a vault with everything else. And we become like kids in a... Well, kids in their own house. Kids with a toy box, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You, kids are so enamored with this toy that they haven't seen in forever. They get bored of it. And then you pull out another toy. It's like, oh, I love that. I haven't seen it in forever. And then they get bored with it. And then you pull out another one. We do the same thing with Jesus sometimes. Rather than just put our whole focus on this treasure, we, we find we can throw him in a vault with all the other treasures. And we'll play with Jesus for a while, but then we'll get a little bored with it. We'll go play with something else. And then we'll pull out another one. And then we'll pull out another one. Then we'll see Jesus after a while. Be like, ah, that I haven't played with that in a while. Yet Jesus is telling us to forget everything else. Focus on him. And when you do that, you'll find the good things in your life that do need to be brought into balance will come on that focus on him. So as the band comes up to the stage and we're going to engage in worship tonight, the theme that you're going to find in these songs is uh, the theme of worthiness. We're going to sing a few songs that come from scenes painted in the book of Revelation.
because if there's one thing that Revelation's good at doing, it's, it's painting this, this surreal image of God's throne room and just feeling like we are completely helpless. <laughs> We're completely unworthy. But then the scene just keeps showing how worthy Jesus is, how worthy God is. And it keeps painting him more and more as, as worthy. In fact, there's one scene a ways into it in which no one can, can open this scroll. There's just one scroll and everyone wants to know what's on the inside of it. John, who's there, wants to know what's on the inside of it. The angels that are there want to know what's inside of it. The elders, the cherubim, the seraphim, all these supernatural beings want to know what's inside the scroll, but nobody is worthy to open it. And then along comes this slain lamb, this beaten lamb, who is Jesus. And he shows that he's worthy enough to open this scroll. Look, if, if you want to understand like the treasure that is found in Jesus, that this thing is worth it all, then I want to paint an image tonight of worthiness. I want you to be able to look at Jesus and say, is this worth it? And find again and again from your experience, from tradition, from reason, and from your Bible over and over again, he is the only thing that is worthy of all of our attention. So as we sing these, just bring him, you know, bring yourself into the throne room of Revelation and begin to worship him and just tell him how worthy he is until you start to believe it. That he's just the greatest treasure you'll ever have.